to try to forget the myth that um, summer school is somehow like like you kind of noted with Saturday school, like a punitive thing. That this isn't the breakfast club that we're talking about. That that summer school is a time that uh, we can really embrace and use it, and and it doesn't need to be for everybody, but it should be available for everyone to be able to make choices. Welcome to Education on the Rocks. I'm your host, John Bullock. I'm joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, George Hegarty. And this is the season three finale, School's Out for Summer, or Is It edition. George, how are you doing today? I am doing well. It's good to hear your voice. Glad to talk to you. I know it's been a little bit, hasn't it? I mean, we've uh, we both got kind of sucked into the uh, end of the school year uh, uh, pell-mell pace, it seems. Yeah, I think I was sucked into some sort of whirlpool and I just kind of emerged last night. So I'm glad we're able to talk today. I know. And people may not know this, right? We live in different states, but um, I actually saw you at a graduation event and we couldn't even talk there. We were so like the world was spinning so much. We couldn't even connect at that at the graduation. Yeah, I was busy trying to remember people's names from two years ago, like the pandemic the pandemic timeline has made it seem like I've been away for about a decade. So I know I was I, working through my Rolodex trying to figure that out. And a Rolodex probably wrong. You know, that's probably not a timely, uh, timely uh, anecdote for our audience. A Rolodex doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> it is so true and so good. But I'm telling you, like I, I am going to events now that everybody's kind of gathering again, and it is nearly impossible for me to know whether someone was in school last year or five years ago, right? I just can't even, it's, it's so much has changed so much in the process. And it, it's, it's been an interesting, interesting May and June. I know. And maybe that means we both need to retire. How's that sound? <laughs> I'm in, I'm in. Maybe this will be my. The beach looks the same every day. So we'd never, we never get lost. <laughs> That's right. So, so my school's out for summer is like, this is it. It's, it's truly out for summer, but <laughs> I'm not there yet, darn it. I know. Neither am I. I've still got to. I got to get. I got to get the goofy cap at some point, and then maybe I'll sail off into the sunset. I know. I'm excited for you to get the uh, get the goofy cap. I I did not get one uh, when when I uh, finished my terminal degree because I did not participate in any sort of ceremonies. Um, and now I'm wishing I had the goofy the goofy hat though. Yeah, down here, you know. Mid June in Davis, California, isn't exactly a temperate climate. <laughs> uh, they had to they had to cancel graduation uh, halfway through because it was 100 and 105 degrees and people were, uh, you know, kind of dropping. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! So uh, they've been wild. there have been all sorts of missives the last couple of days because you know when you have a 35,000 student undergraduate population, there's more than one ceremony. Yeah. And they've been starting them at eight and not calling names. And then I got an email yesterday that was saying, if you get here at 730, we're going to just start calling names until it gets too hot. Oh, my goodness. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, it is. I mean, it's a crazy and I really feel for those students, you know, who who don't that it just wasn't the ceremony that they were expecting, especially coming out of COVID. It's got to be disappointing. I was talking with a woman last night who was a, a master's student and so she was able to finish 
and they had their ceremony on Thursday when it was a little cooler, and um, it was it was kind of lackluster, I guess, from from her perspective, and she was really bummed because she had graduated in 2020 from another UC from her, for her bachelor's degree and they didn't get to have that ceremony. And so I do like, I, it's all like kind of strange and dystopian, but I do really feel for the students who haven't, didn't get a chance to participate when they wanted to, like you and I, you and I have kind of avoided these things over the years. Right. Yeah, no, I, I hear that. Right. And I actually think that maybe getting this round of graduations in will allow everything to kind of start moving forward in a more, um, whatever normal means fashion, right? Like this feels like, a, uh, this one felt like a big deal all across, uh, you know, high schools and colleges and universities because people haven't had one in so long. Um, yeah, I agree. And so maybe we get, we get one under our belts and we get back in it. So, well, hey folks, thanks for joining us today on Education on the Rocks. This is our last episode of the season and this is the third season, which is hard to believe, but uh, we're excited to, uh, to be here with you. Uh, it's called Education on the Rocks because George and I talk about education issues and we drink uh, whiskey. So, George, what are you drinking today? You know, I've got an interesting concoction today. Uh, I'm a little bit of black coffee with a shot of whistle pig rye. So, <laughs> um, really going smooth. <laughs> nice. Yeah. What people don't know is sometimes we record this early in the morning like we are today. And so, uh, it's not really set up to have, you know, like uh, two or three fingers of a of a whiskey uh, first thing in the morning. But what I made today is what I call a whiskey Mary. Uh, so I've got uh, Bloody Mary mix and I've added in um, some old Forester Prohibition style, 1920 Prohibition style uh, whiskey. And I like two things about this whiskey. One, it's 115 proof. Um, and two, I love the story behind it. And it's just a quick story, but I want to read it to you. During Prohibition, Old Forester was bottled as medicinal whiskey in Kentucky. <laughs> the typical barrel proof at that time prior to bottling was 115. So this is, I, I, this is like medicine, apparently. It's medicinal exactly. whiskey. Hey. hey, we're not doctors, but the bottle says it's medicinal. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, so there we go. So, hey, we, we hope you've enjoyed this season. We hope you've enjoyed uh, taking a pause and taking a sip with us. And uh, we're going to take the summer off. Uh, and then come back, uh, you know, roaring strong into the next uh, the next school year. Um, but uh, if you want to follow us, you can follow me on Twitter at Jay Bullock Speaks. You can follow George. And George underscore Hegarty. And we'd love to hear from you, love to interact with you. We're going to be posting over the summer old episodes um, to kind of uh, keep people uh, up to speed with, uh, you know, some of the education issues and share them with you. But uh, feel free to interact with us on Twitter. Go to our website, educationontherocks.com, uh, and feel free to use your favorite podcast app to, to uh, subscribe to us. Uh, download us every, every uh, time we post an episode, and feel free to leave us a review. But uh, right now, uh, we're going to ask you to take a pause, take a sip, and we'll be right back with episode 35, the season three finale. On August 6, 1991, the first website was created on the World Wide Web. Now, in 2022, there are billions of websites online. And did you know that 55% of small businesses still don't even have a website? Well, at Mooney Marketing, they lift your business to the next level by designing your business an affordable, mobile-friendly website with professional business photography, video production, SEO, design concepts, and color schemes. As we venture into the next stage of the pandemic, 
Customers and consumers are still searching online for products and companies, now more than ever. This Redmond-based marketing firm also offers logo design, advertising, branding, storytelling, and social media marketing services. For more information on Mooney Marketing, check out their website at mooney-marketing.com or give them a call at 541-280-7412. Welcome back to Education on the Rocks. With Memorial Day behind us and mid-June upon us, students across the country at various levels of education are donning their gowns, decorating their caps, and heading to the biggest arenas on their campuses to graduate. <clears throat> oh, my voice. We're going to do that again. <clears throat> I need more of that medicine, apparently. Yeah, I know. you got to get the pepper out of the uh, Bloody Mary mix. <laughs> Come on. That's not helping, right? Here we go. <clears throat> With Memorial Day behind us and mid-June upon us, students across the country at various levels of education are donning their gowns, decorating their caps, and heading to the big biggest arenas on their campuses to graduate. So for those of you who just graduated or are about to graduate, George and I want to congratulate you and wish you the best of lucks on your next steps, whatever they may be. Today, however, we're talking about what goes on after the ceremonies and after the final bells ring in the summer for students and teachers. Today, we're talking summer school and all its iterations as we ask, is summer school such a bad thing? George, what do you think? Have you ever taken summer school classes? I, I have, not as a high school student, but as, a, uh, as an undergrad, yeah, I, I would take courses every summer, primarily because uh, I was on campus anyway, and so I was working nights, and we had, we had practice, and so it was a way for, way for me to get uh, courses out of the way, um, and some that I really wanted to immerse myself in, but yeah, I took summer school for two over two summers how about you yeah I took summer school in college every every year uh, because I didn't I didn't want to leave campus I, I loved campus and I didn't want to leave and, and uh, so I also was working as a journalist then and so I had a, a summer job writing for the local paper and so I would uh, and we were a morning paper so my work was at night so I, I would take summer school classes and some of them were my favorite classes ever because there's something about summer school classes. Everybody just kind of chills out a little bit. It goes a little slower. Uh, everybody is, uh, you know, I think in a better mood uh, in class because you're not taking a full load, right? You're taking maybe one class or two classes so you can really concentrate on it. So I, I loved, I loved taking summer school classes. Yeah. And, and um, why didn't you, I think that this is, it opens up an interesting question that you and I both, you know, like them and did them as college students. Why didn't you do it in high school? Well, one, it wasn't available that I knew of, and two, it was always perceived uh, as a negative thing, right? There was Saturday school, where if you got in trouble at school, you had to go to school on Saturday, and then there was summer school if you were failing, I think. There was some summer school stuff, but there, weren't, there wasn't programming like there is today. I mean, uh, today in Oregon, uh, there is, I think, $100 million going into summer school programming that includes things from like students taking tennis camps to students trying to recover credits or advance credits. Uh, and so it's much more robust. But it, when I was in school, it was, a, it was seen as a negative for certain. Yeah, and that, that's the same way it was for me. I tried to think back, and I actually, in preparation for today, I talked to my brother, who he did take uh, U.S. history the summer before his junior year, um, just because that he wanted to kind of open up some flexibility in his schedule. But other than that, I just remember summer school being, you know, a place that students, you know, 
this is the last place in the world you want to be because it meant something didn't go well for you over the academic year. Right. And I think that that's uh, part of like the myth and the culture around summer school, right? Like, because we've, we've created summer to be a reward for teachers and students, right? And so uh, anything that would infringe on that would be seen as a negative. And it always, every time I think about summer school and summer sessions, I always am reminded of, of this question I ask myself in my head, why do we even take summers off? Right? Why, yeah. You know, part of the struggle in schools is every year you have to ramp up to open schools and you have to ramp up to close schools and then you take a few weeks off and you do it all over again. And I'm just wondering if we, if we went year round in some fashion, right, there's a, a hundred different ways to do it. If we wouldn't save some expense and some anxiety and uh, we could shift culturally into saying, hey, learning is a, is a thing and stop viewing summer as some sort of reward that cannot be infringed upon. And I know as I say that, somebody out there screaming at, uh, at, at their uh, iPhone that, uh, that I'm a crazy person. But I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that? Well, I, I think I really I actually, you know, I think that that is a really interesting concept in terms of not necessarily that all students are in school from September to September every year. And that, I think is when we start talking about year-round school, that that's the model that people fall into. It's just like one size fits all. But I think in terms of, especially for, you know, when we look at communities who are you know, really frustrated with schools that are overcrowded, that using summer as a productive term is a way to kind of alleviate crowding. It's a way to have students, because right now, if you think about it, is that we privilege idle time in the summer and the idea that what's what families and what students do in the summer is somehow more valuable that they can't be in school than you know winter time and you and i both know and and kind of working in oregon and in central oregon where there were four seasons is that we had students for whom like winter was their most important time to have you know to have free time away from class and our system just isn't there to support that but this would be a cool way that you know, everyone you know takes the same number of credits over the course of the year, but how individuals do it um, can totally differ. And I think you can also slow it down a bit too, right? So you're not trying to pack in uh, all of the classes into you know two semesters or three quarters, right? You can spread them out and maybe go a little bit slower, which I think is why summer school is such a good time to learn because things do go a bit slower. What, what are your thoughts on that? Why, why do you think summer provides such a good learning opportunity for folks who, uh, who take advantage of it? Well, I think it can, and this does, it, it actually speaks to students who are trying to advance in an area, but then also those who have struggled is that that time and focusing on one course is so valuable. So if you, I, I know at the college level, a lot of students will take organic chemistry um, because it's kind of a weeder course and, and an obstacle uh, for many of them that they'll take that in the summer and just focus on that single course and find success in a way that they probably wouldn't if they were enrolled in four or five courses. And I think that the same trickle down um, is true at the high school level is that if a student's taking one or two courses at a time and in summer school, because people aren't really packed into a six period uh, or a six course or a five course day or even a seven course day that 
it opens up, it kind of opens up a lot of possibilities where you can do four classes potentially over the summer if you do two and two. And those are really immersed because you're spending more time with that, with that teacher or that professor. And you're able to gain, you know, from a credit perspective, you're able to gain a lot that can alleviate pressure on your, um, on your other terms or even give you the potential. And this is kind of my vision. And I think what we can move into is the challenges of this is that, you know, if a student doesn't want to be in school in the second semester, what if they were in the summer semester in the fall semester, but not in the winter semester, I think could be a really intriguing way to think about how we educate, um, you know, our, our high school students, as well as how we do it at the university level. Yeah. And I think so much of that struggle to make that change is what the community expectations are at the K-12 level about when students are in school, what times of day, what do we do when they're not in school? And we've kind of all accepted that summer will be a time where nobody's in school and, and we've got, you know, solutions. I, although I, I'm using air quotations to say we've got solutions for that. Whereas having students not in school in November or not in school in April seems more problematic uh, for our community because it's not necessarily set up that way. And, and I also think at the university level, uh, the idea that um, students need um, a break and so summer provides that break, which is great, but I agree with you, that break could be at different times. But I think so many of the mechanisms for funding, the mechanisms for um, evaluating progress, they're all tied into the you know, September to June structure, right? So it makes it difficult to, to make that change. But I, I do think it'd be interesting to see more people experiment with the value of summer term. Yeah, and, and I think from a staffing perspective, I have to imagine, and and this is, you know, obviously the best case scenario would be that if the funding for education became, you know, essentially like a 10 month uh, or 11 month funding cycle. And so that, you know, the, the instructors or the teachers could get paid more for teaching year round. But the reality is probably that the budget's going to stay the same. But the idea that not every teacher contract has to be you know, X number of days, but those days are really designated within that for like a, you know, general generalization, but relatively true from like September one to June one. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've taught some summer school, uh, courses at the university level and I loved teaching in the summer. I mean, I, I, I loved it. I mean, it was, the environment was better. And of course I was teaching uh, graduate level classes for teachers or, or people preparing to be teachers or people preparing to be administrators. Um, but you know, I mean, you could, it was easy to after, you know, after a, a few hours of class, we could go to the local uh, pub and sit out on the patio and drink a beer and talk about what we were learning. I mean, it just was a, I, I enjoyed the vibe. It was pretty cool. Yeah. That not, it's not as rushed. And I love the idea of trying to make the entire academic year not as rushed. Kind of what you were alluding to is that if people have more time to just kind of sit down together, um, which is a little bit romantic, I realize, um, or, to, or to leave campus and to do something else that I think there's value there that we haven't really explored because, you know, so much of our system is about having X number of butts and X number of seats for, you know, 
X number of periods. And then that's that equals kind of what you're saying. And that's measured at some level and you're either successful or unsuccessful. Right. And that doesn't have a lot to do with learning. And I think that it would be interesting if this funding structure changed that said you could spend your money over the summer, like you could stretch it out because right now they're in different, in many cases, they're in different buckets, right? So it makes it impossible to do that. Because a lot of times it freezes in April, right, Is the in the traditional system. Yeah. And so if, if you instead could stretch it and you could slow the flow down for everybody, I mean, that would be, that would be great, I think. But I, I don't know. Have you, have you ever taught summer school classes? Uh, I have. And in the times that I have, I've, I have taught in two kind of in two modes but primarily i've taught first courses for students who struggled during the year and so they were trying to recover you know grades or credits and in those instances it was very you know i I found it really rewarding and i was able to take so much more time with the individual students my classes were always smaller than they were during the academic year and that i really felt like i could focus and because the students were focusing overwhelmingly as I, as I recall it, I think I was in a system where the students could only take one course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it wasn't as if they were trying to, I know that at the university, some students take up to three courses per summer session, which to me seems overwhelming. Um, but it was really, I found it really rewarding and, um, and it, they were high school students. And so it was, most of them initially were not, um, you know, super enthusiastic to be there, but by the end of the, but by the end of the term, we always had a really nice community. Yeah, and I think that that's and, and if you can have some of that success and help people feel like you know that 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 they're part of that and that learning can be fun and they can you know uh, develop skills and values. I think that that's a that's a cool thing. Yeah, in terms of in terms of your vision for how summer sessions work, do you like kind of a balance of courses for advancement and then, but then also still having opportunities for students to kind of recover credit or, you know, make up for courses that maybe didn't go as well as they, um, they wanted them to go during the academic year? Or do you like the idea of um, kind of having a one type of summer school session or summer session? Yeah, I like the idea of having a varied session, but I also think it provides the opportunity to experiment with what if instead of teaching the same course but changing the time frame, what what if you teach the course in a different way, right? What what if there's another way for a student to uh, demonstrate their writing skill rather than say taking writing 121 in the you know traditional system and and you know it's just compacted in a different way, right? Um, so I think there's op- there there needs to be opportunities for credit advancement. There needs to be op- opportunities for credit recovery. Think there's got to be opportunities for enrichment, but I also think there has to be opportunities for experimentation. Right? Mm-hmm. Use summer school as a time to try new pedagogical techniques, new assessment techniques, so that uh, you can you can figure out do these things work and do it in a way that you're not under the the constant pressure or grind of the regular school year. I think so. I think it provides opportunities for students and to inform practice and, and it would be it would it would be so awesome to see K twelve systems and university systems adopt that action research type of approach to instruction during these these terms as well. Yeah, that, I mean that I think that's a brilliant idea. The 
the notion that, and, and you and I, we're going to partner up next summer um, to do something similar where we're going to bring a brand new curriculum uh, that I, is so brand new, it hasn't even been written yet, an opportunity for a group of students uh, to kind of explore university level thinking and processes in a summer session that's going to be totally supportive, not overwhelming. And I hopefully, you know, it's going to be something that can maybe even transform pedagogical models uh, for what's going on during the school year. And so I love, I, I couldn't agree more that I think that that's such a great way uh, to think about summer school, that it isn't just like the grind. And I know here at, um, at Davis that the professors, the tenured professors who end up uh, teaching summer school, that that's part of their teaching load distributed over the course of the year. So it's not as if they're working for a different stipend, um, that it just is how it's part of their job description. And I think that it's going to take something big like that to kind of solidify summer school is not just an add-on, you know, where some some instructors are going to elect to take, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'll do it because I get extra paycheck. And that paycheck may or may not be in line with what, uh, you know, what my annual salary is. Uh, I love the idea of having built into our job descriptions that like, oh yeah, I teach summer school, but it's not because of anything other than like, that just is part of the part of the year that I teach when I might not teach in another part. Yeah. I, I think that that's a, a great way to think about it. And I think as we, as we get ready to wrap up this conversation, I think what we've explored here today is that summer school provides a ton of opportunities to for students, for teachers, and for the system to rethink how education works. And if, you know, folks that know anything about your career and my career, we've been trying, you know, for the better part of three decades to have people rethink how education works, right? That's why we have this podcast, Education on the Rocks, because we've got some ideas about how we can better structure a system to serve the students serve the community and, and improve education across the board for everybody. And so, um, you know, if, if you've been a summer school student or you, you have been a summer school teacher, or, uh, you have thoughts about summer school, share them with us. We want to engage you in the conversation. So find us on Twitter. I'm at J Bullock speaks. Uh, and I'm at George underscore Haggerty. Yeah. We'd love to hear from you. So as we wrap this up, George, what's, what's your big takeaway from this summer school discussion? I just think it's something that, kind of going back that for those of us who are of an older generation that to try to to try to forget the myth that um, summer school is somehow like like you kind of noted with Saturday school like a punitive thing uh, that this isn't the breakfast club that we're talking about that that summer school is a time that uh, we can really embrace and use it and, and it doesn't need to be for everybody but it should be available for everyone to be able to make choices. That's, that's kind of my takeaway. What about you? My, my takeaway is, is really that um, we have in education an opportunity here, and I think partly generated through the pandemic, people seeing, people being concerned about learning loss are saying we should invest in summer school. And I think we can utilize that, that investment to find ways in which we can alter the landscape so more students can achieve more success in a way that works for them. And so I'm hoping, I'm hoping to see that from summer school. And like I said, in my state, uh, $100 million is going into that this summer. So I'm hoping that it turns out to, to show that not just that kids were able to recover credits, but that 
students and communities were able to see, hey, wait, we can utilize schools in a manner that better serves students and better serves, serves the community. So that's my, that's my summer school hope. Yeah, well put. I agree. Well, hey, folks, we appreciate you listening in. We're going to tell you right now to take a pause and take a sip, and we'll be right back with a segment we like to call After the Ice Melts. And we're back with a segment we like to call After the Ice Melts. Well, we've drank our whiskey and we've talked about the education issues of the day. And now it's time to find out what we're going to do next. So, George, what are you going to do after the ice melts? I've got a couple things that I'm, I'm really excited for. One is, is a book that I've plowed about three quarters of the way through. And I think it would be for anyone who really likes getting out and about in the mountains. Um, it just is an amazing read. It's by actually a, um, a sci-fi writer uh, whose name is Kim Stanley Robinson. And I might have talked about him on the podcast in the past, but he, he lives here in Davis and he's friends with some of the professors with whom I worked. But he just released in um, the beginning of May, he released a what I kind of read as a memoir. It's called The High Sierra, A Love Story. And it talks about his entire I think he's probably in his 70s at this point from the time he was in his late teens. He's been kind of going up into the um, Sierra Nevada range and and hiking and walking and backpacking. And he goes through it and tells tells uh, kind of a geological story, the geology of the past, the indigenous past of the Sierra Nevada and talks through so many really interesting um, things that I've been, you know, lived in. I've lived in the shadow of the Sierras for you know the majority of my life. And it just is amazing. And for those those of you who don't live by the, the range, you'll probably fall in love with it. Um, and, but just the idea that many of us live, you know, in mountain spaces and what it's like to get out and explore those. So that's my recommendation. It's called uh, High Sierra, a love story by Kim Stanley Robinson. I couldn't recommend it more. It's a beautiful book also, uh, something to have on the table. And people come over and go, oh, you must be impressive that you've read this. <laughs> Um, and then the other one is I have a friend of mine, my best friend in the program is moving down to Berkeley. And so I'm going to help her move, uh, this week, which, you know, reminds me back of my college days of like moving all the time. Uh, but selfishly, I'm just happy she's moving, uh, to Berkeley because as a high school student, uh, downtown Berkeley was my haunt and I would go into the bookstores and buy, banned books and read those. And, uh, you know, much to the displeasure of my Roman Catholic mother, uh, that that's kind of where I found my love for literature. So I'm excited that she's making that move and I'll be able to visit, visit her down in, uh, Berkeley, which is one of my favorite places in the world. How about you? What do you got going? Well, that's awesome, man. Well, here's what I've got going on. There, many people love the NCAA basketball tournament, uh, because it's uh, March madness and it's, uh, got its upsets and it's chaotic, but my favorite uh, NCAA tournaments are the uh, softball World Series and the baseball World Series. And so, right now, the NCAA baseball tournament is in the Super Regionals, and it just so happens that uh, my undergraduate alma mater, Oregon State, is playing in the Super Regionals for a chance. I knew to go there to was the... going to be a plug in there. Yeah, a chance to go to the World Series. I had the pleasure of seeing them win a national championship. Uh, in their in uh, 2006, and 
that experience at the College World Series is one of the best sporting events uh, I've ever I've ever been to. It's, it's a very it's Omaha, right? It's in Omaha. Uh, just so happens, uh, my best friend from college lives in Omaha, um, and so it's it's just a great experience. So. Uh, I'm planning after the ice melts here. I'm going to watch about four uh, college baseball games, <laughs> back to back to back, uh, and uh, see how much Old Forester uh, will be involved in that. So that's my plan. It's, it's no, that sounds like a good day. Yeah, I mean, it's it's you know it's nowhere uh, you know at the literary level that you are, but our audiences can <laughs> understand that that's the case here. I know. I almost had to. We were almost. At, my response was going to involve some swearing, but uh, it, I I was able to edit myself there. That's not true, but I appreciate I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, man. What a great uh, a great uh, pod and a great uh, season three. Uh, I'm guessing you're coming back for season four. As long as I'm invited. I mean, uh, the check's still cashing, so. <laughs> Hey, we made speaking uh, of we made eleven cents off of uh, advertising in our in our last uh, episode, so it, it's it's about to happen. I can feel the dam getting ready to break. <laughs> I re- I do. I feel it. I feel it. With inflation, we'll be making twenty two cents. <laughs> hey, either way, it's fun, man, and I love getting together and uh, talking about education and drinking some whiskey. And hopefully, folks, you listening in, you enjoy the same thing. Hope you have a great summer. Uh, We'll be posting some uh, back episodes throughout the summer so you can stay in touch. But look for us again in August with uh, the kickoff to season four. All right, man, that was great. Cool, thank you. Thank you for listening to Education on the Rocks. You can connect with us on Twitter. George is at George underscore Hegarty. And I am at Jay Bullock Speaks. If you enjoyed our podcast, please tell your friends. And please give us a rating on iTunes and leave a comment. Until then, look for us next week as we continue to discuss education on the rocks.